Welcome to the Culture of Safety. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Good, Joe. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about the hierarchy of controls. Hierarchy of controls? Hierarchy of controls. So What's if, that? if you've never heard of it before, the hierarchy of controls is a list of controls that we have for mitigating hazards in the workplace. So the traditional one is you're going to eliminate objects or hazards out of the, of the job site. And then you're going to substitute whatever hazard for one that's less hazardous. Then you have engineering controls. So those mm -hmm. are talking about your guards. Then you have administrative controls. And what those are is like SOPs, warning labels, and, you know, minimizing the time that people are exposed to like noise or chemicals. And then the last is, and the least, uh, least effective is PPE. And when I was going through school, I was introduced into another one and it's called prevention through design. And what prevention through design is, is as you guys are building the work or you guys are working through um, the different phases of before the work starts, is you try to eliminate the hazards as you go before employees are ever put into the field. Or what I've done is I take the work that they're currently doing and I try to redesign it so that there are less hazards involved as well. Cool. Yeah, I actually saw a um, like a little illustration of the hierarchy of controls and, and it broke it down in a way that I thought was really easy to understand. Mm -hmm. And uh, it made me think of it right now when you're explaining it. So just picture like your hazard is an alligator. Have you seen this? I've never before? seen the alligator one. No, usually it's a pyramid. That's the one that I'm, I'm used to. No, I know. I know. But they're trying to help people understand what the different levels are. Okay. So picture that you're, you're standing there and there's an alligator next to you, right? Oh, wow. So the first thing you want to do. Wait, is it an alligator or a crocodile? Well, let's say alligator. <laughs> so the first thing you want to do is try and eliminate it. So what do you do? You Shoot eliminate it in and yeah, actually in the picture, it shows like a picture of Elmer Fudd. Like standing next to the <laughs> I alligator. have to look this up. <laughs> it's a rifle. But yeah, you, you eliminate the alligator, right? Okay. Of course, if there's no alligator, then is it ever going to attack right. you? Right. No, no, yeah, it's not. Good. Then the second one was substitution. It's kind of dumb, but what they did is they, they removed the alligator and they put a picture of the Geico lizard. <laughs> <laughs> That's, fun. That's pretty the, uh, funny. I'll have to go look this up. This the is Geico funny. lizard, right? It's it's less hazardous because it's a lizard instead of an alligator. So they well, I don't know. Uh, insurance salesmen are, are pretty dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and then they went to engineering. And how do you think they engineered the hazard of the alligator? They taped the mouth closed. No, they put him in a cage. Oh, so they kind of guarded yeah, him, right? I they mean, put yeah. him in like a, a looks like a little uh, cage, prison style cage with prison bars on it. Yeah, it makes sense. That's a guard. So yeah. Engineering control right there. That's how you protect yourself with an engineering control. Then they move down to administrative and they put a sign. You sign. Yeah. I figured that would be a sign. And it says danger. Alligator <laughs> will bite you. Don't touch. Don't reach in here. So that's like their administrative control. Right. And then PPE, they put the 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 guy standing next to it in like a suit of armor. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like the, the last the last level line of defense because the alligator can still bite him. But he's hoping that the suit of armor is going to hold up. Hopefully. Right. To the bite, which it probably wouldn't. But anyways, when I saw this illustration, I thought like that's a pr really cool way to break it down for people that. Honestly, I, a lot of people have trouble kind of uh, understanding the different levels and how they work and apply to hazards in the field. Yeah, I'm going to try to, I'm going to have to go look so that up and I use thought it. the graphic was pretty cool and it broke it down like in a really cool way and it simplified it and I liked it. Yeah, but how would you, how would you prevent it through design? You just drain the swamp? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the alligator couldn't live there? You're like, ah, now what? I don't know. I guess you, I don't know. 
Well, what's one of the things that I've, I've met some professionals that have had difficulty because they've never even heard of, you know, higher drive controls. And, and so I guess it's not a, it's not a very common term, but I think it's a very key term, especially for us in the field, because if you aren't utilizing these, these hierarchies of controls, then you're not really managing, managing your, your, your job sites very well. So I'll give you some, some things that I've changed about myself is whenever I have an accident investigation, I actually use the hierarchy of controls in my presentation. Mm -hmm. So typically, like we discussed a couple of weeks ago, we use the, the different types of, you know, accident investigation techniques, whether it be, you know, tap root or five Y or whatever, the gold standard, the gold standard <laughs> patent pending. Um, and, then after I've explained the incident, I've have all the pictures that explain all the things that are going on. What's the next portion? They always go, okay, so we know the causal factors. We know all the things that happen. What are your corrective actions? And so what I've learned works really well in the, and when I'm presenting to even, you know, C-suite executives is using everything that I have and putting it into a hierarchy of control. So I'll go through and I'll say, okay, boom. Prevention through design, elimination, substitution, engineering, and every single bullet point all have something there. Even if, even if we don't do it, I'll at least have it on there on the presentation to show, hey, look, at least we thought about substituting. Yeah, we can't substitute out this, this hazard, but we thought about it. Or if it was deemed infeasible due to you know cost or whatever, we put that on there as well. So at least when we're presenting it, nobody's going to have questions. Well, what about this? Well, mm -hmm. what about that? Oh yeah, you know, and you're kind of back backtracking, saying, "Oh yeah, we did talk about it, but you know, blah blah blah." It's right there up front. Hey, prevention through design. So I'll give you, I'll give you a scenario that I I I probably first used this on. Uh, we had an incident where a, a heavy piece of equipment ran into a wellhead, right, and some gas was released and all that kind of stuff. And so we were going through the process of accident investigation. And I, they had asked me, Hey Joe, you know, what do you think? And I told him, look, I, you know, I want to incorporate this, you know, hierarchy of controls into, into our presentation. So that way, when we talk to them, they're like, wow, okay. You guys thought about everything. Initially they're like, no, no, that's kind of, that's too much. No, no, no. Okay. Whatever. So we did the first like upfront presentation and they're like, you know, you need to go back to the drawing board. There's a lot of stuff that you have missed, blah, 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 blah. And so my manager comes back to me and says, Joe, we're ready to use your idea now. And so, you know, I was kind of like, all right. So what ended up happening was what, what we went through. We, we changed the design of the work, right? We, we tried to do the prevention through design. Said, hey, rather than, you know, this piece of equipment, you know, telling everybody else how to operate their piece of equipment, we said, hey, every operator should be responsible for their own, right? Each, each component that comes on the job site at different times, they'll all meet together and they'll discuss, hey, I'm using my motor grader here. I have my water tender there. I'm using my scraper here. I'm using my front loader or back backhoe over in this direction. So that way, every time a piece of equipment comes or on off the job site, everybody has to communicate and everybody's responsible for their piece of equipment, right? Because if I'm a front loader operator and you're a motor grader operator, I don't know how to use your piece of equipment, right? Or you use it in a different way that I do. So it's not very it's not very fair or it's not a good idea for me to tell you how to do your job, right? You're the best at what you do. 
you do it the way you do it. So instead of having me direct the work, we come together and it's a symbiotic relationship. I'm going to do this. You do that. We stay out of each other's way. That way everybody designs their own work. So then what I went through after that, we went through engineering. We said, Hey, you can't, we can't engineering a, a, a lot of the stuff out substitution. There was nothing. Um, one of the things that we had was a lot of the monitors and stuff like that. We talked about that as far as, you know, making sure that we do add them to the checklist. That was part of the, the administrative controls. Mm-hmm. And of course, PPE, there's not, not much, but we did find out was, you know, changing changing one, I guess you would consider it PPE, but we had radios before in order for the the spotter to communicate with the, the machine or the, the operator of the equipment, he would have an air horn. And if you've ever driven a piece of equipment and you really don't hear a whole lot because they have a giant engine in the back and they put a lot of soundproofing in the windows in the doors so that you don't hear that giant engine. So what we found was the radios, it's an instant communication. We can, you know, click the radio and yell stop. And I can actually communicate with five or six different pieces of equipment on the same channel rather than just having one air horn and hopefully they hear it. If they don't, they don't. And so once we went forward, we presented to the customer. One of the big things was that prevention through design. They're like, wow, you guys really thought this through this time. Like, yeah, well, you know, the first time we were just kind of rolling it out to see what, how you guys would, uh, you know, like it. And then this time it's a full, it's full rollout. And once we detailed every single thing, hierarchy controls was really good in in at the end of the meeting that was their their wow we've never seen anybody use the hierarchy controls like that i'm like i figured it'd be a good good little tool because then we can literally check the boxes well did we try to prevent it or you know design the workout yeah yeah we did cool now we can type in there yeah we tried to change the design of the work yeah it didn't work we tried to you know substitute it or eliminate it yeah another piece of equipment wouldn't work right that's Mm -hmm. the reason why we're using the front loaders for compaction reasons we thought about using a backhoe it doesn't work right even though it's a smaller piece of equipment we need the compaction around the wellhead cool we go into engineering okay what do we got there well we tried to move the camera from a higher position to more in you know central view that wouldn't work um what we did do is we we found that they weren't looking at the backup cameras so we changed the backup cameras and we put them onto um an inspection list because they weren't on an inspection they over time the cameras would point down the backup cameras would point down and they couldn't see that was one of the major factors so we said cool go through all the fleet make sure they're all good and then put it on the inspection list so that way that's a, an item that they hit boom 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 and the customer was like wow you really guys thought of everything i mean we tried you know and that's i think that's the difference is once you see that they that we tried to hit every single point then they had no questions they're like Wow. Yeah, we have no questions. And that's one thing I learned from my JSAs. And I'm sure you did too, is when you cover all your bases, most of the time they don't have questions and no questions is the, is the best, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the goal, right? When you're, when you're, that's what you're hoping for when you're presenting something to some higher level, a customer or something like that. One other thing that uh, you can do, like the hierarchy controls, you talked about it when it comes to incidents, but really as a safety professional, we can use it in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, some tools that I've used it for, uh, recently are, um, actually one of the things we're trying to do is eliminate hammers from our business. Okay. And so I gave my, I created this kind of like sheet, like this worksheet to go through for my guys. And what they do is when we have a task that we're going to use a hammer, uh, the whole worksheet is based off the hierarchy controls. It just doesn't, you don't really see the pyramid. Right. But they go out there and you it, see the alligator it's like, and the guy co Yeah. 
it's like, does this, ta- so first off, can this task be ch- like eliminated or changed somehow so that the hammer use never has to occur? Right. And then it goes, is there some other tool that we could use besides a hammer that would eliminate that from happening? And it just goes down the hierarchy of controls, right? But it's a good way to look at things anytime you're, you're doing any kind of assessments in the field, because anytime you can get higher on the, on that hierarchy, you know, you're doing a better job of preventing injuries well, yeah, in the future. And, and- a lot of times people think that eliminating or substituting hazards out is more costly and it's not, not, not every always. single, not every single time. I and mean, yeah, some of the bigger ones, yeah, it could be more difficult be. to get rid of. But for the most part, if you have everybody looking at, you know, trying to reduce the hazards, not, that's also a good, you know, lean Six Sigma, you know, principle is trying to get, instead of having to spend all this money on hammers, if we can find a better way or a cheaper way or something that lasts longer, you know, I don't have to use as much PPE or use as much manpower or I can get the job done six times quicker. I know one of the things that I've used before is we use that, that model and we found that using a sledgehammer just wasn't efficient, especially because, you know, we have a large weight moving pretty quickly. So obviously sparks or missing or throwing out your back or shoulders. There's just so many hazards. And one thing we found was an air chisel, right? It's a, or air hammer, if you will. So it's the same thing, right? Then the machine does the work itself. And we actually found just by that, I think it was like five times as much investment, right? I think like sledgehammer is like 50 bucks. It's like maybe 500 bucks for the air chisel. Don't quote me on that, but that's 10 times. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't really all that much difference. It wasn't really that that high. It was like maybe 275, whatever. But what ended up happening is they got more work done and the guys just told us, yeah, man, this is so much easier. It's so much less weight. It's so much less work. At the end of the day, I have so much more time and energy that I can get more done and still feel way better than I did when I was swinging a hammer. I'm always, yeah, it's not, that's caveman status, man. You're, you're swinging a hammer. It's, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And 90% of your energy goes into that, into that, you know, hammer union. The rest of it goes into the air mm-hmm. when you miss. So yeah. <laughs> right. So that was, and that was obviously, you know, one of the things that we, 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 we found worked really well was eliminating the use of the hammer using an air hammer. It was, uh, you know, I would so say like revolutionary. Yeah. It wasn't revolutionary, but it was, it was very beneficial. And, you know, definitely when we, when we spoke about the money, the, the owner of the company was like, wow, this is way cheaper. Cause you know, over time, you know, maybe within three months that hammer would need to be replaced. Yeah. And then because the, the air chisel hits so accurately, not only did we have less, less, you know, mushrooming on the, the hammer union, but the hammer, the actual, um, air hammer lasted a lot longer. I think it was like seven to eight months per, per repair. So it was, it was a lot cheaper in the long run for everybody. Yeah, sometimes it's a little bit more of an upfront cost, but if you look at all the savings over time, not just that, because I mean, hammers can be pretty dangerous for all the reasons you just said. Right. If you do have an injury in that space, you got a guy that throws out his back swinging the hammer. Right. Well, now you, you got to count all that. Or you got workers comp or you got lost time days. You got whatever it is that all of those things could affect. You know what I mean? But Oh, yeah. Uh, you got to think about that stuff when you're going to when you're looking at, oh, $50 hammer, $250 tool. Is it worth it? Yeah, it's probably worth it if it's going to prevent an injury from happening. Well, yeah, in the future. especially back injuries or I always tell people just think about if you have an injury, just whatever, whatever one, one for one. If I have a hammer union injury or if I have an air hammer injury, you know, there can be two different injuries, two different severities. Most likely what's going to going to happen is if you if you don't use the new tool, that's better. You're going to have an injury. 
You're going to send your guys out there. You're going to pay all that money for them. And then, and then guess what's going to happen? You're going to go right back. Man, we should have used this six months ago. Yeah, well, we told you, but you had to wait till you saw the upfront cost. And sometimes I think that's what we need to do with safety, safety professionals is understand that we need to speak more towards the C-suite manager level. Hey, yeah, I understand it costs six thousand dollars. Maybe I we should do that. an episode on like cost benefit analysis and how we to break should. one of those Maybe down. Maybe we should do that because it's it's honestly that's that's how safety gets sold, right? Mm-hmm. I saw uh, uh, it was ASSP. Um, I think it was part of their P um, Professional Safety Journal. They had one of their new things is that safety professionals need to be knowledgeable in sales. Right. You have not just no safety, but you have to be able to sell it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's where it comes down to is that price point. Hey, yeah, we're eliminating the hazard. Yeah. It's six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars But you yeah. know what? The cost of breaking, breaking equipment or rolling over a vehicle or hurting an individual is way greater. And not just that, but most of the time, if you don't change anything, guess what's going to happen? It's going to happen again. Yep. So that, you know, $150,000 that you paid for your backhoe, you're going to have to pay it again because you didn't change anything in the workplace. Right. And I think that's the thing that most, most owners don't see. They're upset. Oh man, I have to buy a whole brand new vehicle. Well, yeah, we, we told you we should have changed this six months ago. And I I always, you know, put it on us because we didn't explain it to the point where they, they believed us. So I think that's the new, like I said, the new thing that I'm learning is being able to speak the money side. Cause that's, that's really what it comes down to is money. Well, am I going to spend $10,000 for a new piece of equipment or am I going to spend $20,000 over the next couple of years in PPE? One thing not to, <clears throat> not to backtrack too much on what you're saying, but uh, one word of caution is whenever you do substitute or eliminate, or you come up with some other way to prevent the uh, injury from occurring, you got to watch what are you now introducing into yeah, that's the workplace? A, that's, a, that's an important concept. Because yeah. it's really important. Sometimes you think you're fixing something, and maybe you did fix this thing, this this potential, but now you just added in this other and piece of potential. Like a whole list of other hazards that exactly. you add into there now. So you, you got to kind of always be forward thinking when you're putting these things into place because if you put something new in the field and that ends up injuring somebody, then, then you look dumb. That's not going to that's not <laughs> no, gonna it's very not good, very good at all. I don't know how, I don't know what the prospects of your job are. So when you, in your experience, and I know, I know the answer to this, but in your experience, what is the most common go-to on the hierarchy control? So when you have an accident <laughs> and you go to management, management goes, this is what we're going to do. What is it? What is the typical answer? Uh, well, I mean, I know where we're going with this because it's pretty common in the industry and, or I think and probably in all industries is the place to go, right? Is PPE. PPE. And then uh, right past that is going to be like training and procedures. Training and SOPs. Yes, Those sir. Are the top, top three main hitters after an incident that, uh, what are we going to train them on now? Yeah. We what have to have a training. Everybody needs to be trained. What rewrite? And what kind of PPE are we changing? Yeah. That's pretty much. And like I said, in the incident that I had mentioned before, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. Oh, we're going to change the PPE. We're going to talk to the, you know, we're going to train, train our spotters. We're going to do this, this, and that. And luckily for, for me, the customer goes, uh, yeah, we're not going to be going this little baby route. We're going to really eliminate this hazard because like I said, hitting a wellhead and having a little bit of gas releases is, is a big deal. Right. Especially, you know, if, if it was a live well, luckily we hit a dead well, but if we had a hit live well, you know, you imagine all the oil and, and gas and all the stuff that they'd have to, all the fines that they would get if, if it reached, you know, recordable, recordable spill. 
So I think that's the most important thing that I see a lot of companies do is, oh, well, yeah, we had an accident. So we're just going to, we're going to modify the PPE. We're going to change it to, you know, something more strict, stringent, or we're going to change the SOP. That's the one that I think I see a lot. Oh yeah. Training and SOPs. We're going to have uh, everybody that was involved. We're going to, we're going to change, uh, we're going to change the SOP and we're going to train everybody. Yeah. But in reality, it, it really doesn't do anything because sometimes people do, you know, they have those human error traps and they fall into them. Cool. Well, if I change the SOP, is that human error trap still there? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, it's really difficult sometimes, depending on the situation, to find w- creative ways to eliminate or substitute. Yeah, it and can so be hard. And so you have to find creative ways to work it in administratively and hopefully not PPE. Hopefully PPE isn't your only answer, but... I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes it is. You know, I've I've had some occasions where, yeah, unfortunately, whatever the situation was is... We found it was the wrong PPE that they were that were they had that somebody had selected. They didn't thoroughly in, investigate what was going on. Or typically, what I find that happens is there was a, no management of change. So we went from one PPE to another because it was cheaper. And then later down the road, we didn't consider that that PPE was used for too many too many jobs, and that's where the injury occurred. That's a really good topic to bring up in another episode. We should do about safety management systems because procurement playing a role in safety and injuries is a huge deal. And I think we should definitely talk about what that is. Yeah, yeah, that is a, that is a good, um, interesting topic is because a lot of times it comes right back down to the bottom dollar. Okay. Well, yeah, this, this PPE is better, but it costs a dollar 50 more and times that by, you know, two, 300 people and it only lasts a month, blah, 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 blah. And I know I deal with that constantly is, you know, when I'm trying to make change in PPE, something that's, usually more restrictive, not always more expensive, but they're like, well, I mean, it's 50 cents more. I'm like, yes, but you got to realize is that it, it lasts longer. And so really you're saving money in the long term because you're not buying the cheapy stuff because exactly. most, most of the time we all know the cheap stuff breaks quick. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier with that CBA is sometimes you can do little studies like that and you can show like, Hey, I had five employees wear these gloves that are 50 cents cheaper. They lasted one week. Right. If we pay, or let's say like a dollar more for these gloves, not only is it going to protect their hands more, but they're going to last 10 days now. Right. They're going to last twice as long. And you can, yeah. you can figure out the math and be like, and overall you're actually going to end up saving money with these higher quality gloves than you are with these, these cheap ones. These that are gonna cheap end up ones that are like from the cent store. That's I think that's where you were talking about earlier. Like sometimes safety guys have to be, almost like salesmen. Yeah, they have like to be biz- salesmen. They have to know business. And yeah. in order to be, I think in order to be really effective in your job, you probably have to have a lot of other traits like businessy sales stuff just yeah. to be good. Yeah. I mean, you make a great point. And, and where do we, where do we get that from? You know, you have to learn, you have to go oh to school. God, here we go. You have to go to school. Every episode, <laughs> we come back to this. <laughs> I'm just saying, look, it's, it's tough. It's, you know, uh, you as a business owner, it's not, it's not just common sense. You know, that's why they say a lot of businesses fail. I mean, like I said, you don't have to go to school. We have to get some kind of education. I think that's one thing that maybe we should, we should do as a, as a, profession is get better at that sales side because when it comes down to it or they just get educated from the culture of safety by listening to this podcast boom yeah but they're not gonna learn anything from you and me we're both dumb that's true i don't know anything but maybe if they hear the terms we're saying then they can go google and learn about them or something themselves. there we go yeah they can they can look up the terms like what is a cba that's weird i never mm-hmm. heard that cost benefit analysis and it's, it's it's a really good tool but uh i digress a little bit but 
using the hierarchy of controls is very important. And I, like I said, I've, I've ran into a couple of people that I've never heard of it, or even more importantly, like I said, they've, they've never been introduced to the, the designing part. And whenever I talk to people, I always try to use that hierarchy of controls every time that way they get used to it. They're like, Oh wow, this is really useful. I'm like, yeah, this is something that we talk about quite a bit in the field accident investigations. Like you said, you know, when you guys are uh, going out on their JSAs and they're doing, their audits on their job sites and looking for hazards, how can I eliminate it? And that's, I think that's a good, a good tool as well as giving it to the employee. Cause that's where the benefit's going to be the greatest. Hey, eliminate the hazard. If you don't have a gator in your pond, you're fine. You can swim in it all day long. I think that's a, that's the thing. It's a really good, you know, visual. Cause like yeah. I said, that's, it kind of brings it home. Like, Oh, if there's a gator. Well, if we get rid of it, then we don't have to worry about it. Yep. So Yeah. I like it. One thing that I'll, I'll talk about on the prevention and design side is <clears throat> whenever I hear that, I always think more about like when something's getting built, literally, like they're designing a facility or designing a building or something. You mean like they're that. like engineering, engineering a facility. Exactly. Yeah. An engineer is, you know, designing something, not a safety guy. However, a, uh, either that engineer or a safety professional should be involved in that stage because that's really where prevention through design comes in. Yeah. Is okay, you're putting this this piping in at this facility with these valves in it. Right. How is somebody going to have to reach those valves? How are those valves going to get activated? Turned, turned on and on off. Or turned off? Like, is somebody going to have to get up on a ladder? Or is there a way to bring it down to the ground? Or is what's going to happen if it leaks? Or whatever it is, thinking about that stuff before anything right. gets built, that's prevention through design. And having, and having almost like guidelines and standards and, and things like that saying, anything you're going to build over this height or anything you're going to build over this weight or whatever it is, th this stuff needs to get seen Put by in, yeah. a safety professional at some point so that those things can be looked at from somebody who's looking at it with a safety mindset and, and thinking about the human that has to interact. Yeah. With like, Hey, because you and I know that a lot of the valves now they're starting to put chains on them so that way they can be operated at yep. the ground level, which is, I mean, I'm sure that's going to become obsolete because now we have engineering controls. Now we don't have to worry about that. We can automate everything. Yeah. There's a lot of different things you can do. I've seen where like, instead of putting all their valves upright, they buy valves that they could put on the side. That yeah, way it's at, so like, they can work in it. The, they're the, more in like their green zone, like in a more ergonomic position. I've seen a lot of the new, the new facilities and they're getting better. Definitely. They're getting better at engineering out the hazards and, and designing them out before we get to the work, which is really important. And I think maybe we talk a little bit more about the training and the SOPs because like I say, it's just, unfortunately it's just not effective. And I, I've seen it too many times where not just the PPE, but when we go and we, we talk to the customer and we're like, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to change the SOPs. I'm like, you and I both know we're both of the safety people are looking at each other. Like we both know they're not going to even read the SOP. Yeah. That's probably the reason why they had an incident was because they haven't read it in like a couple of months. And I mean, they say they do, but in reality it's like, Oh yeah, we have it out. Like, okay, but did you read it? No. Why? Cause I've read it 16,000 times and nothing's SOPs ever changed. are tough, man. They're tough because I know we probably don't agree on this, but I think that they can be very useful tools if used correctly. Maybe you do agree with that. I don't know. But also I never they, agree with you, Matt. They can never ever be worthless at the same time. I think SOPs have, you know, 
are on that curve of diminishing returns, right? So in the beginning, when SOPs are introduced to a new employee or, you know, new SOPs are introduced to seasoned employees, typically you're going to have, you know, an upswing in use. They're going to read it. They're going to try to understand it because they're responsible for, yeah. for understanding the information that that's contained on there. Obviously, after a certain point, after reading it so much, they feel comfortable and that's when, you know, complacency sets in and they're like, okay, well, I know the material. I don't need to read it every day. Uh, I see. I see because I think the issue is, is that it depends on the type of work you're doing, because I think the type of work you're doing is probably more not routine, but not extremely yeah, diverse. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's common. Yeah. And, and my, cause where I'm, where I'm at right now is sometimes we have a very diverse amount of thing, machinery that we can work on. Sometimes you won't work on that same type of machinery for six months, a right. year, 18 months. So when you go back to it, I think the SOP is a really good yeah. tool to go back to. And you can be like, wait, how does this, this piece need to come off again? Oh, okay. Here it that's, is. Right yeah, that's right there. And when you make a good point because that, that is something that I have seen as well as if, it's an uncommon task or a rare task, like you said, five, six, even two or three months, you know, in between um, span. Yeah. A lot of times employees are like, oh, crap, I forgot how to do this. And that's, like you said, it's a perfect tool. Yes. But if it's a very common. Yeah. If it's a very common job, like I said, it, most of the time they're going to they're not going to they're going to stop reading it. If every day your job is to buff and grind pipe and that your SOP is about buffing and grinding. It's how much, yeah, I mean, how, I mean, how, really how much different. You. And and then what, what you end up finding out is that eventually they forget a couple pieces here mm -hmm. and a couple pieces there. And they're like, oops, I forgot to do this. Oops, I forgot to do that. Yeah. And this is when I, that's once again, that's when we have the barrier model. When we come in as safety, you know, professionals, we come in and go say, hey, um, you guys haven't done this or this or that. You haven't inspected your equipment. Oh, yeah, I forgot we're supposed to do that. And then, of course, you know, inevitably, and this is the culture that I hate the most, is, oh, well, it's not an SOP. I don't have to do it. <laughs> and I've been in cultures where that was literally the, the go-to. Well, it's not an SOP. I'm like, okay, but you understand, SOP is a piece of paper. It's not going to save your life. If you get hurt, what are you going to do? Say, oh, well, the SOP didn't protect me. Uh, it's a piece of paper. It's not designed to use it, to be a human being. Somebody who's fallible wrote that. And said, hey, this is the best instruction that I can give. I've never done the job. This is the best instruction that I can give to you, the employee who I've never met in trying to get this task done. We would hope that you would use your brain and say, hmm, you know, this might be dangerous. I probably should like look into doing it. And that's what I've seen plenty of, of times is employees are like, well, I follow the SOP. I'm OK. I'm like, yes, but the SOP is not a substitute for your brain. You have a brain. Please use it. Don't just come in every day. And I've seen it before. We're like, oh, yeah, they have the SOP open and they looked at it. You know, they might have talked about it before, but they didn't really, you know, look at the information and try mm -hmm. to absorb what was on there. Yeah. And so, like I said, it's it's a double edged sword. Is it a good tool? Like you it said, it, it, it's a great tool if you're not using if you're not doing this task very often. But if it's every single day, it's up to us as safety professionals to go and verify. Not that they're they're reading it because I know for a fact that they'll they'll just say, no. "Oh yeah, I read. Oh yeah, I read it." It's I, not about reading it. It's about knowing how to do the job safely. It's just understanding sure the, the job it. task and the hazard associated with each task. Yep. And 
you know, understanding, Hey, if I forget, there's always that reference. It's a reference sheet too. You and I, I'm sure we both use references. Oh, dang. I forgot. I had an, I had a friend of mine ask me about, you know, small cranes, you know, the cranes that you have on auto cranes or something. Yeah. That's why I call them auto cranes. That's what I'm, I know them as auto cranes is the ones that are truck mounted. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh man. Um, I'm like, I remember dealing with this like a year and a half ago. And I'm I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's like a weight limit of like a certain amount of pounds. I I told him 14,000, which I think is, is, if I think if I I read the regulation right, it's like 14,000 pounds. For what? For the crane. So if it's 2,000 pounds to like 14,000 pounds, you have to be trained in that device. Mm -hmm. Anything under, you don't. And he was asking me all these questions. I'm like, man, I had to, had to like, had to go back to my reference sheets. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, oh yeah, okay, I remember now. So references are always important because if we forget we There's need no to have we're going to memorize all the regulations no. but that's why they're there written available for us true and like i said you could tell with that culture it wasn't very good because they had an sop for everything they had an sop for meet and greets throwing up trash i joke you not there you know those little sinecades that they have for for your meet and greet mm-hmm. they had an sop for that like how to put it up how to put it up because the mentality was is if i got in trouble for not doing something I would just go to the, well, it's not an SOP. And that was, that was a legitimate answer. Well, well, he's right. That's not an SOP. I'm like, I'm sorry. Your SOP isn't your rule book. It's not, it's just a prescribed way of doing things in a certain manner. Because if you don't follow that prescription, you're probably end up either breaking something, hurting somebody. Yeah. Right. And that was their mentality that the SOP was the rule book. An SOP is, I mean, even in the name itself, it's just the standard operating procedure. It's not like this is the only way. It's not the only way. It's just like, hey, this is the normal way stuff stuff should be done. So this is like the guidelines that you should follow and basic everyday stuff. Right. And like I said, it's I think it's a good tool, but I think it's like, like every tool, right? It's like a hammer or a chisel. If you're using a hammer to screw in a light bulb, probably not the Man, best effective tool. If you're using a hammer to screw in a light bulb, I'll put that on YouTube because I want to see that. Okay. <laughs> that's what you, what you pay that's for. talent, man. <laughs> You're like, look, check this out, man. Right. Proper, improper tools. Well, what about the next level? Of, what was it? Oh, training. 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 I oh. think, I mean, you talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I remember, uh, I had an RCA. This is a few years back. Um, but I, like you talked about, I went through a lot of work of, you know, using the hierarchy of controls to try and not just find a PPE answer or an administrative answer, like literally trying to find a way to eliminate or substitute. And I actually ended up finding a way to substitute out the, uh, the hazard pretty much. I I can't remember exactly what it was, but anyways, I remember it landed on substitution. Mm -hmm. So I had all my presentation together and I go in there and I'm presenting it. I'm like, look, like this is, this is what we found. This is how we're going to, this is how we're going to substitute this so that that thing, that specific thing will never happen. Yeah. And then at the end of it, I'm like, okay, you guys have any questions or feedback? And they're like, oh yeah. So what about training and, and, uh, SOPs? SOPs. Like, well, are you going to do training on the, on the, on the tool? And I'm like, no, like we, we got rid of that tool. Like, like we why did you train it. for something we got rid of? And they're like, yeah, well you should probably do training on it just in case. Like just do a refresher training. <laughs> and I'm like, why did I do all this work if I'm just going to have to do training at the end? Do like, you, I mean, you make a good point. I've, I've been there before with certain customers and that's, that's their go-to because that's, that's what's been ingrained in them. That's their culture oftentimes, unfortunately, they're not the good quality safety professionals that we want in the field. And we kind of have to bend a customer, you know, request. And, and a lot of times, uh, maybe not, maybe this is just my experience, but over the years, a lot of times I'm not dealing directly with safety professionals. I'm no, you're with dealing with ma- operations like managers like, yeah, op- or divisional managers. Manager, yeah. Like that. People that don't have safety backgrounds. 
that are going off of like whatever they've what have they've done time, in the right? in the thirty years that they've been here? They've what they've always done? Seventy safety guys prevent PPE and training to them. And right? So like, why doesn't this guy have training and PPE? You're like, uh, and then they look at you sideways, like, what? The, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And like, <laughs> sir, I know exactly what I'm doing. No, let's not get too carried away. Right. Well, training is. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before, but it, training is is not as effective as most people think it is, and I think when we try to train individuals, I think we really need to look at the actual training because oftentimes, sometimes the training is boring. Like you said, death by PowerPoint. Sometimes people are just like, you know, I've been asked lately to, to give an, I have to give an awareness training before we give an actual training now. And that's, that's where we're at. And I'm like, I'm going to teach these people before they learn something to learn something they're about to learn. If that makes any sense. Essentially, I'm giving an awareness yeah, for a training that they're going to get like the next week. I'm like, I'm spending extra time teaching the same. I do, right? And that's and that's the reality they don't understand. It's like, okay, so my training is going to be effective because I understand, you know, how to deliver an effective training. But the problem isn't me. The problem is you. As the customer, you guys need to look at your training and see how you guys are falling flat. Because obviously if, if my people that I'm, I'm giving to you aren't learning the material, it's not because of me. It's because of your ineffective training. And so if we're using that as our, as our leverage, okay, we're going to, we're going to retrain everybody. And hopefully I'll give you this. Hopefully it's the, the company trainer. I've had it to where the ops manager, yeah, the divisional manager are the ones giving the training. I'm like, uh, the ops manager couldn't, you know, cut himself out of way of a paper bag. Why? Dang. Why is he the one telling everybody to not chop off their hands with this piece of equipment? You know, it's tough, man, because uh, sometimes you want the messages delivered from higher level management. So it has yeah. meaning, but you got to you got to make sure you know when and when not to do those things. I've I've found it that it's it's a case by case basis. Like I said, the the one I'm speaking of in particular was known to not have the gift of gab, if you will. He wasn't a highly intelligent human being. And whenever he spoke, it, it was foot and mouth every single time. And what I've learned is I've had managers where I could talk to them. I would, I would train them so that way when they went out to train the employees, they were more knowledgeable and they were able to deliver the message that I had because yeah, I, I, I'm a great orator. I can, I can talk and, and keep people captivated for a long time. But if I'm telling it to my divisional manager and he is as boring as dry toast, it's, it's going to be very difficult. So that's where that leadership comes in and talking with those individuals. Like, hey, let me just educate you so that way you can deliver a more effective message. And then once again, it's all about knowing your audience. If I'm talking to, you know, the ops manager and he, like I said, <laughs> he's not very bright and he's known for that. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be very disastrous and it's going to go fall the other, the other way. People are going to tune out. They're not going to hear the message at all. Yeah. So. I mean, we could, we could probably have a whole episode on training too. Oh Yeah. But Tra training is just so difficult because everybody learns in different ways and some people will learn from a PowerPoint. And some right. People some people will. And I, what I've experienced too with training, it's difficult to get everybody. Yeah. Right. Be especially if it's cross divisions. Now we have to have a whole stand down. Everybody's going to be involved. What about the people that, you know, missed? Okay. We had one or two people, you know, called in sick or they were on a different project or they moved or they, you know, especially in, in construction, you move in divisions in and out 
week by week. So one week we had, you know, let's talk about like civil. I had civil guys in my group. The next week they're on a different project, you know, because that's that's where they need, they're needed. Mm-hmm. So if we had an incident that involved them and I had a divisional, you know, meeting and they weren't part of it, now they're not going to be introduced into the, all those different yeah, hazards. Right. There's definitely a lot of hurdles and stuff when you're, when you're talking about training in an organization. And I've been, I've been asked many a times, you know, as a safety professional, because people, people tend to, especially after an incident, have the, the tendency to like, all right, everybody's going to stop work and we're going to get together and we're going to have a, a training. We're going to talk about what happened and we're going to talk about the changes. But in reality, you know, once again, what's it come down to cost? I'm taking depending on where we're at 30, 40, 50, 130. I've had up to, you know, 300 people under me at one time. I'm taking 300 people out of the field for an hour to talk about a subject that probably won't cost as much. Mm -hmm. Right. And so obviously, you know, it's not, we have to learn how to, to manage the training as well. Most of the, I said, most of the time people was, Oh, we'll we'll have a training. We'll have a stand down. Everybody will talk about it. And like, that's not always the solution because there's, there's gaps in there. There's a lot of gaps and we need to make sure we're covering those gaps. Cause if this information is, you know, vital, you know, we talk about CIV, serious injury or fatality, you know, and somebody misses the boat, you know, they're at that risk level. We're like, Oh, well what happened? I've had it plenty of times where we've had new employees or somebody was sick and they said, well, everybody received the training. Well, this guy, he didn't receive the training. Well, what happened? And we found out like he had a sick day that day and he, he ended up getting hurt, re-hurt from the same incident. And, you know, this is when I had came in after like maybe five or six months. And we found that's what the problem was, was the training. We had a stand down. Everybody talked about it. Yeah. But the one guy that wasn't there well, was a couple of people, but the one guy that wasn't there was the one that ended up getting hurt because he didn't know the changes in the rules. Mm-hmm. He's like, I've never heard of that before. And I've, I've heard that even across safety, you know, one division doesn't talk to another and they implement a, implement a rule and we're like, when did you make that rule up? So silos, it's hard not to have silos. That's what, that's what I've always heard it referred, referred to as is within a company. When you have silos, you have this division or that. Right. Division. You have corn and, and then you have other products always, and stuff like that. They're not always communicating. with No, it's, and that's and once again, that's one of the reasons why I, I try to not go with training. And it's sad because I've seen a lot of people, you know, especially after an incident and they always go, well, they should have known, right. They should have known they've been here for three, four, five, six, a year, whatever. They should have known not to do that, Mm -hmm. but they weren't trained, right. They weren't properly trained. They didn't, they weren't trained at all. You have no documentation. So how are you going to sit there and assume that this person should have known not to do this or not to do that? Right. So let's go ahead and you got anything left on hierarchy before we wrap this up? No, I mean, hierarchy controls is really important. Like I said, uh, if you've never used them in a presentation before or even a JSA, I I would say start looking it up, understanding. I'm very interested in looking up your your, um, alligator Elmer Fudd looking, (laughs) you know. I liked it, dude. I, I mean, cool it's, I, I don't think I could have done a better job because like you said, it's, it's, it's right on the money. It's really easily relatable because everybody knows alligators can bite you. So. Right. And everybody knows the Geico <laughs> lizard is just going to sell you car insurance. Funny. But uh, I like your, your little tip uh, at the end is like, if you're not using hierarchy right now as a safety professional and whether, whether you want to make a better safety culture or you want to impress somebody, maybe look it up and start throwing it right. in presentations like or said, using it in the field or whatever it use might it be. Use it the way but I did. And you will find that when you have a presentation, 
people are a lot see you in a different light. They're like, wow, yeah. this guy actually actually knows some stuff. And and like I said, it's it's been tested every time I've I've done, you know, unfortunately, maybe like a couple hundred now investigations. It wasn't until I started using the higher controls. That's when people were like, oh, wow. And they the, the meetings go a lot smoother because people don't have questions. They're like, oh, I mean, you already covered it in. We've already talked about that. We've already talked about why we couldn't do this this control. Mm -hmm. Radios, like I said, worked great. And that's when when the customer went out there, they're looking for those radios. I'm like, oh wow, okay. So that shows the customer, wow, I'm I'm safety positive. I'm trying to improve the safety in the company. Because in reality, fifty dollars for, you know, a radio is cheaper than, you know, having to buy air horns that don't work anyway. Right. So, yeah, use the hierarchy of controls. Use them like, like your tidbit. Use them in your JSAs. Have your guys give that give that tool to them yep. so that they can be empowered to protect each other. Sometimes it's a little more difficult, but integrating it over time and, and continually mentioning it to the, the guys that you're working with or, or girls, whatever, right. maybe the workforce. I think really will strengthen. Yeah, I think I think using uh, looking at that little, uh, you know, picture that you you yeah. gave us would it would introduce it to them very well they think they grasp it very well and then just make sure you you keep on it and involve it into the culture so that way your employees are the ones using it so that way when you have an accident how can this prevent it oh hey well we can eliminate this and you're like wait 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 we can eliminate it yeah and they're like oh we can pre pre uh, prevent through design you're like uh oh this guy knows more than i do <laughs> awesome man so Good episode, and I think uh, we'll see everybody next week. Next week? All right. Have a Thanks, good one. guys.